Hey, this is your host Shane. Welcome to another exciting episode of Radical Rocks. Today we've got a super exciting episode. We're going to talk about carbonate uh, minerals. We're going to talk about myricite, rubies, diamonds, and so much more. First thing I found was a geocrystals, quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock of the felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, you can find lots of rocks, there's radical rocks are everywhere. That's right, radical rocks are everywhere. And today we are going to talk about a bunch of them. Uh, we got dinosaur news, fossil news. We got uh, no turquoise, but we got the little Chuckawall Mountain agates. We've got proustite, which is a beautiful red uh, silver mineral we'll talk about in some depth. We've got the Ocella mine. We've got reptile discovery at the Arizona Petrified Forest. We've got some other gold mining stories. Petrified vomit, diamonds, rubies, new actual findings, Idaho rock castles, and so much more. So let's get right into it. Um, First, I want to thank you guys for supporting the show. You can pick us up at MeWe. Just look up Radical Rocks. We'll show up on Many different social media sites, Locals, Truth Social, um, what else? Parlor, uh, Lo- Gitter, and check out our videos on YouTube. Again, you just look up Radical Rocks, and we are there. Also, check out our Etsy store. It's Radical Rocks. We've got a few little items listed there. Nice little plug for that if you want to check it out. We'll be bringing some cool minerals in during this month, hopefully, and put those up for you to look at, too. So without further ado, let's get into today's exciting episode. Um, Also, we didn't mention in the kind of introduction, but we've got Maine. Maine was put on the map for some gems that were discovered about 50 years ago, half a century later. There is the tourmaline that was discovered in Maine, about two tons worth, found in Newry in October of 1972. You can read about this at the Franklin, franklinnewspost.com. Steve Minich tells us all about it there, but it was a very big find. Um, some people have samples of it. You can go to the Maine Mineral and Gym Museum and see some of these beautiful specimens that are there and find out about the miner who did a lot of this, the renowned miner Frank Perham, just happened upon the historic discovery. Five decades later, an album full of old uh, photos are all that chronicles four years of work to mine the many layers of gem quality tourmaline from the side of the Plumbago Mountain. The tourmaline was quickly sold off to jewelers and artists around the world. News of the find 
shed new light on the potential for mining in Maine. So that was very exciting. The museum is celebrating this. They dubbed it the Big Reveal, showcasing tourmaline in modern art and fashion. 50 years later, a salute to the four people who made the discovery happen. So you can check that out if you want. Deep sea mining. Is this a solution to the tech world's mineral demand or a potential ecological disaster? Well, I don't know if you know this, but there's these nodules that they found in the deep ocean. And way down there, these nodules are loaded with the rare minerals that are needed for this so-called green tech. And they're very valuable and they're very rich, but they're afraid, people are afraid, especially environmentalists and people that uh, promote that are afraid that it's going to destroy the ocean. Is it a potential for an ecological disaster? ABC News has the story at abcnews.go.com and Ginger Z, Stephanie Ebbs, Lindsey Griswold and John Solzberg and Ivan Pereira tell us all about it. I'm not going to go in too much depth, but uh, they were following around a test. They did a test where they were going down in this zone some 12,000 to 18,000 deep, finding these little nodules rich in minerals. And you know China and Russia, they would like to go get these. People from all over the world would like to go into the world seas and do that. One of them is a U.S. Explorations awarded 17 exploration contracts to state sponsors meant to assess the mining opportunities in the CZZ, CCZ seabed. Now, some of the studies, I don't know if it's in this article or not, but some of the studies that came out from the original testing showed that this plume uh, stays around for quite some time and environmentalists are saying that it is uh, way too bad, we shouldn't do it, it's way too dangerous. I don't know. I think it's great to test and see what happens and maybe this is something that needs to be limited because we certainly don't want to. You know, what else is down there? If they're just finding all these nodules They've got an approval right now, ISA, to collect 3,600 tons of nodules and then um, see what the impact is. Like I said, they're, they feel that there's enough materials down there, minerals down there, for 280 million mid-size heavy-duty batteries or 1.6 billion tons of polymetallic nodules uh, in these two or three different areas of the CCZ. So... Yeah, 280 million mid-sized batteries. I mean, they definitely have a problem, right? So here in California, in the U.S., they want to go to all-electric, all-electric cars by 2030. And right now, scientists say we only have enough battery power to last about 11 minutes. So we're nowhere near. Most estimates between now and 2030... If we mine everything we can and make as many batteries as we can, we won't have enough to last but a few hours. So we're way, way off. They would have to increase mining 
I don't know. I'm just going to throw a number out there. But if we're only a few hours and we need to have, you know, you can't even just have 24 hours because there's weather, right? Bad weather comes in. So if you just have only 24 hours of solar energy and then the, the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine, it, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. So what is it? Is it 10 times, 20 times? I mean, if they only have a few hours, we're already, you know, uh, five to 10 times short of if we use everything we've got. And several studies have been done. We don't have enough lithium. We don't have enough of these rare elements to put everything on electrical solar battery to store it. So this could be a way for them to jumpstart. I haven't done the math to see if that's enough to, uh, to deal with it. But one of the things I thought of is since they're sucking up these nodules, like what kind of creatures are down there? They've got a picture of a large sea cucumber down here that lives on the abyssal plain, you know. So some of these creatures could be at risk. Um, does storms, do storms stir up these things? Is there a certain time of year that would be better to do this? Are there creatures that, that are laying their eggs or having habitat in here and they go through and they just, you know, really put a huge impact on these creatures? So that there really should be study. I mean, I'm all for mining, but I'm not for just doing it haphazardly, you know, perhaps it should be very limited and studied at the same time. So hopefully that's what they're going to do because, uh, you know, China and Russia and some of these other countries, they don't care. You know, they'll just go in there and suck up everything in the world. So hopefully um, something is done and they find some balance in this and make sure everything's safe. Here's an article my son sent me. Chinese scientists discover cannonball-sized dinosaur eggs filled with crystals. At interestingengineering.com, this really cool article that uh, my son Zach sent me, you can go look at the videos on YouTube. We have done a lot of prospecting trips, rock hounding trips, all over the state of California for the most part, and you can check those out. This article is brought to us by Dina Teresa, and there's a picture of this beautiful crystal, looks like a geode. But they discovered in China that these cannonball-sized eggs filled with crystals are actually fossilized eggs. The species they think this might be, they're not really sure, but they're kind of, kind of leaning toward the duck-billed type dinosaurs of that type of uh, a breed of dinosaur. And those eggs are about the size of what they would see. But since there's no... no babies inside or anything like that, they're not really sure. But uh, they have six eggshell fragments. They've got one that's a huge chunk with a cavity in it. They've got some, some complete round ones that have the eggshell structure on the outside. So this is how they know that it happened. They believe that uh, these dinosaurs were bipedal di dinosaurs and about 30 feet long and uh, roamed the earth during the Creaceous period, and that massive amounts of sulfur were propelled into the stratosphere, and the gases blocked out the sun, cooled the earth for centuries, and caused the animals to die. Um, okay, that could be, or it could have been um, just covered with water 
and and petrified with because of the sediments and things like that that are over it that would be something that uh, should be studied as well so there's more information on this if you want to check that out interestingengineering.com now idaho has castles not the kind of castles you're thinking of castles inside the towering rock formations just a short drive from boise Anna Daly tells us about this in the Boise uh, Dev Reporter. You can go to boisedev.com and get all the pictures and information on this article. But what she does is give us a view of the breathtaking mountains, the stunning lakes and rivers, and miles of wilderness that we're blessed with in Idaho and why Idaho is coined as the gym state because there's more than 72 different types of precious and semi-precious gemstones found in every corner of our state. The star garnet is one of beautiful garnets. I did a video on that. The ones I collected were actually called huckleberry garnets because they're more purple than red. Um, you can check that out. But this place with the castles is called the Castle Rock State Park. It's also known as the City of Rocks National Reserve. Some of these ancient granite towering rocks that look like an ancient castle from days gone by and give us the geological features that we can see. They're located between Fairfield and Mountain Home off Highway 20. If you're headed towards Sun Valley, the area in Wood River Valley, there's a detour that offers some beautiful striking scenery along the way. Um, you want to do it before the snow hits, which is coming up here in Idaho. Uh, probably could happen in a couple weeks. May may take longer. We don't know. This area and article has some beautiful pictures of the Castle Rock State Park. Um, information on it talks about the nine, uh, the seven thousand five hundred foot Smoky Mountain in the area, and um, the fees for cars are only seven dollars per car and all of the different things that you would want to know. It's a 14,300-acre protected land with granite columns that tower over 600 feet, and they feel that this has been here for a long, long time. And these are the same granite monoliths and spires that people saw between 1843 and 1882, and you can check that out. Vomit. Yes, everything is not better with vomit on it, but if it's petrified vomit, you might be in Utah where it was just discovered. A creature was gorging on prehistoric amphibians and apparently regurgitated its meal, and paleontologists have discovered this spewage of a technicolored yawn from days gone by. Tammy Sewell tells us at the, um, it looks like OI Canada, uh, Canadian. So it's O-I-C-A-N-A-D-I-A-N.com if you want to check that out. There's some pictures of the fossil there. Um, they excavated it out of the area in Morrison Formation, southern Utah. And uh, you can check that out if you want. They thought it was probably some sort of a fish or something that might have devoured all these uh, 
amphibians and got sick. So who knows? Who knows? Interesting. A rare ruby was found in Dubai. Uh, rose unveiled in Dubai. I think it was found in Pakistan. Yes, it was found in Pakistan, bordering Iran and Afghanistan. This thing is bigger than your fist. This thing is longer than your hand. Probably is long, longer than your hand if your hand is outstretched from your wrist to the tip of your middle finger. This thing is 5,100 carat ruby that weighs a kilogram. You can go to siasat.com and see it there. And uh, does not give credit to a author, but there are some pictures of this stunning gem quality ruby rough that was nicknamed Malak, and it is huge. Deep purple color. It, it looks red, but it, it's a purplish red. It is way bigger than the palm of your hand, they say, and open for private viewing. The stone will probably end up being in a museum. It was found in the small village of Hyderabad, Pakistan, bordering Iran and Af Afghanistan. And uh, wow, yeah, it's not for sale. So they're going to charge people to look at it. And the funds will be used to build hospitals, schools, and a village where it was found, according to this article. Beautiful pear-shaped diamond could fetch $25 million in auction by Fang Block at Barons.com. You can see this. It's called the Fortune Pink. It weighs 18.18 carats. And uh, they feel this baby's going to fetch $25 million or more. It is spectacular, fancy pink diamond. It is in some super awesome condition. It will be auctioned by Christie's and is going to be in New York. And wow, it's going to be sold during what they call Luxury Week sale in Geneva. Okay, so it said New York, but now it says Geneva. Wow, it said an 11.15 carat vivid pink diamond known as the Wilmanson Pink is going to be offered in Hong Kong. And they estimate this thing will go, that one will go for $21 million. So this one will probably go for more. Wow, what a beauty. Another beautiful diamond. This one is a vivid, fancy yellow diamond discovered at the Iketai Mine, 71.26 carats. Woo, what a beauty. Found in Canada at the Iketia, uh, I don't know, I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, it's E-K-A-T-I Mine, Misery Pipe in Canada. Beautiful yellow Diamond, um, it looks like just a, a cube. A cube, wow, yeah, yeah, it is a. It's like a diamond cube. Beautiful, beautiful diamond. You can see pictures of it if you want. Go to diamondworld.net, and you can see it there. There's nobody credited with this article, but you can go check it out. It is striking. All right, my rickite. This is a mineral that screams to you, beware. Okay, my rickite, I think I might have some of this. Uh, Rock and Jim, tell our friends at Rock and Jim, rock the letter in jim.com. You can go there. They email me these articles. They'll email them to you too if you like them. 
highly suggest you get a subscription to their magazine. You just aren't a rock hound unless you have a rock hammer and a subscription to Rock and Jim. They don't sponsor the show, but it's that good and it's that critical for true rock hounds to be connected. Um, and I feel that is a great way to do it. And the other way is to be involved in our our media and our shows. So thank you for your support. My Rickite is a local variety of agatized, opalized calcedony. Agatized variety has a Mohs scale hardness of 7. It's good and hard. It is a banded type with sport red and orange colors that mimic the colors of dangerous animals. Okay, that's a neat thing to pull out of it. Somebody just came up with a neat um, article. But what does my Rickite mean? My Rickite is not an official mineral name, but a lapidary term like Montana agate or pitcher stone. It's named for the prospector Francis Myrick, who was around in 1850 to 1925, who uncovered specimens in 1911. The first optical description of the specimens found near Myrick Spring in San Bernardino County, California. I have some. I knew I recognized the stone when I saw it. It has these really cool bands, orange, red, all these different colors. It says, the best known source of myrickite is the now defunct Manhattan mine in Napa County, California. It is said that myrickite deposits are only found overlaying gold deposits, and gold is what people were looking for at the Manhattan mine. But the mine produced mercury, which and myrickite. The quantity of myrickite was small, less than one ton, and eventually mined in the early 1950s. It still represents the largest deposit found to date, and many specimens on the lepidary market today have come from that single deposit. Well, I know I have some of this. It's really beautiful. In fact, I think I had one up for sale, and it didn't even sell, but I, I didn't really know the history of it. I bought it in a uh, estate sale. It wasn't something that I mined myself. As you see, it was mined up in the early 1950s. So I'm going to have to dig that up. This normally metallic tin white uh, mercury often goes by the name cinnabar. But when it's not in that state, when it's not refined, it is called cinnabar. And it can be bright red when it's found. And it can be found as an inclusion in agate. So, wow, when you grind this stuff, you don't want to get it too hot. Luckily, I keep it always wet, so I know I did not breathe any mercury fumes. I always keep my um, materials wet when I am doing them, especially if I don't know what, the, what were, you know, a lot of history on them. Another variety is Vivid Orange. This is the myrickite, which may occur in agate or opalite. Agatized material tends to be red, orange-red, whereas opalized varieties are orange against a black background. Both are so vivid, they almost seem synthetic. They warn you here about mercury being toxic and say you should even wash your hands after handling it. So I would think uh, definitely want a backing on this stone, a silver backing if you're going to wear it. It says mercury bound in agate is not necessarily feared, uh, especially given the percentage of mercury in myrickite is less than 0.01%. So, heck, I've got fillings in my mouth that probably have more mercury than that. Not that I'm happy about it, but um, I, I will never put any more of that stuff in my mouth. But back in the day, you know, that's what they did. Actually, uh, I think they still use it, but it's, it's obviously not a good idea in my opinion. 
So if you go to mindat.org, you can see the health uh, hazards associated with my rickite because of the mercury. So always treat it with care and love. But uh, like a bright orange bee, they say my rickite clearly advertises its content. This was originally a story by Jim Brace, Bryce Thompson. And uh, of course, he goes into a little bit more material there. You're welcome to go check that out if you want. All right. I want to tell you another dinosaur story. Bizarre, primeval, shark-like fish is unlike any vertebrae ever discovered by Harry Bur uh, Baker. And you can find that at LiveScience.com. They've got a picture of this fish, which looks like uh, half catfish, half shark. It does have some extra spines on its belly. It has two back fins instead of just one. Um, but the bottom fins on its stomach, there's two, four, maybe five of them. As you read through the article, um, they claim it's older than sharks, older than anything. It has a jawbone, but it doesn't have fall, uh, bones all through it. They were able to find these fins. The outside of the body is kind of like its bone. They call them spone, uh, spiny sharks. So they, go, they tell you in this article, it's completely different. We need to rewrite evolution. They give you all this stuff. And then as you read through the article, you find out, no, it's just like other bony, plated, spiny sharks. Um, it is different. Um, it's just that they came up with an older date on it. If you know anything, if you've really studied carbon dating and ra radiodating and all that stuff, you know that that is uh, really wild speculation um, in, in, at some degree. So um, a lot of times they recheck these things and they can find things that are brand new and come up with these outrageous ages so I always take that with a grain of, of salt because everybody finds something older than the first, the last one, older than we thought, ancienter than we thought. It's every time, guys. I mean, I could read you 50 of these articles and stories uh, every day uh, or every week, rather, uh, the same type of titles to grab people's attention. So anyway, this shark, uh, they say... Uh, is uh, some sort of a unique specimen because of its hinged jaw, which makes it uh, a little bit different. It defer, it's a uh, diversification of, of vertebrates, uh, vertebrates and those type of animals. And the Chinese Academy of Science said in the statement that uh, they're interested in this fish, they wanna find more. All they found was little bits and pieces and kind of put them together. So they're kind of guessing what the fish looks like. They've got a couple different indentations of it. Um, but the teeth are unusual and the spines are unusual because there's like teeth-like scales on the spines, which they feel might have regrown because of the way they found the fossils. It appears that there are these bits and pieces around there where they could have regrown. So they got to do more studies on them, um, but it's pretty cool. And the article states that uh, sharks are older than dinosaurs, according to all their research and, um, and all that good stuff. All right, let's talk about a gold mine. The Ocelel mine is a silver mine in uh, Nevada. And it was on auction block. It's probably sold by now. But uh, it's got a pretty neat history. 
This claim is at the flank, the northwest flank of the Montezuma Mountains in uh, Nevada, I believe. Let me double check this. Tonopah, Tonopah uh, County, Nevada. And uh, there's a vein there that you can check out. Um, they uh, have the potential for high-grade high gold and silver. Bulk tonnage, open pit gold deposits, placer gold, copper deposits... It says that there is gold and calcite veins weathered uh, and crushed in the area. There is a history of Montezuma's district. It was discovered in 1867 and began production shortly thereafter. The district shipped ore to Belmont for milling in 1887. It was inactive until 1905 when the Tonopah and Goldfield booms brought new prospectors into the area and they revived the production and started shipments and then that happened until about 1923. The Goldfield boom was one of the largest and last of the old-time mining booms. Goldfield was originally discovered from prospectors from Tonopah in 1902. Five million ounces of gold were produced from 1904 to 1960. The bulk of the production was 1904 to 1920 and the mines were closed during World War II. Intermittent mining has occurred here and there since. In 2022, a large industrial mining company acquired the Central Goldfield District for $206 million for the Central Goldfield District project. Several large and small mining exploration companies in the Montezuma District of Goldfield and the surrounding area. The Osella Mining is located within the basin and range of uh, the province, like most of Nevada, and these consist of narrowing northeast trends and mountain ranges between flat and arid valley basins. The Walker Lane Mineral Belt is a high-density parallel strike-slip faults extending to Reno to Las Vegas, roughly along California-Nevada border. Any faulting or volcanic area um, make favorable for hosting gold and silver. One of the most famous precious metal mining districts in the U.S. is the Comstock, Goldfield, Tonopah, Bullfrog, Mineral Ridge, and Round Mountain. So it includes this area. The local geology, Montezuma's Peak is a mass of rhyolite, tuff, and tuff breca. Um, surrounding this is a Cambrian and Precambrian meadow sediments and uh, all sorts of rocks with limestone, silkstone shales, small quartz, monzonite, granite, uh, diorite, uh, dikes, and uh, other mineralization and veins and deposits can be found in intrusives and contact areas and dikes. Quartz and calcite veins have been crushed and weathered and undergone uh, enrichment and there are silver chlorides and copper oxides. Sulfites are present at depth and veins continue deep, according to this article. So a really cool area. Probably some placer mining could be done in the area. One more dinosaur, and then we're going to get into some more cool rock and gym. A reptile was discovered at the Arizona Petrified Forest, and they named it after the former park su uh, superintendent. Arizona News at KTAR.com tells us about this. Um, I don't know if I'd be so happy about being named after a reptile. There was a time when I was a 
teenager and maybe in my 20s and stuff, I was crazy about reptiles. Maybe all the way up into my 30s, actually. But um, I did I did keep some reptiles when I was a little bit older than that, but it just wasn't the same as when I was younger. Um, and I had that real uh, crazy love for them. I, actually, I had a snake up until about 11 years ago. It was a, a giant gopher snake. It was over six feet long, and it had a perfect, it had an almost perfect Y right on his neck and head. And I named him Yodi, and he was a really cool snake. But I, I let him go when I got married because my wife, I loved my wife more than my snake. <laughs> but anyway, they found 5,000 skeletal elements in the petrified forest bed between 2014-2015. Uh, now they've been going through them and they found this reptile which closely resembles one found in Madagascar and Morocco, which was found in uh, what they call modern-day Arizona on Pangaea, according to the release. This was uh, a creature that resembled the Komodo dragon in size and shape, according to the release. They did a, looks like a Twitter drop. It says, we're excited to announce a new fossil reptile species discovered in the Petrified Forest National Park. Uh, it was found on a Girl Scout hike. 500 skeletal elements from nine individuals have been described at the site. So they will study this. And uh, it's the first one of its kind in this area. So pretty exciting. And uh, maybe they'll find some more stuff in the future. All right, we've got two more rock stories and then... Another gold story. Meet the Carbonite Mineral Group. Our friends at Rock and Jim, again, they emailed this to me, and I went to it and checked it out. There's a beautiful Carbonite Mineral Purple, um, kind of a random kind of druzy crystals, somewhere between a crystal and a druzy. It is called Cobalt Calcite. And Cobalto Calcite, has traces of cobalt that give it its beautiful purple color. It is from Africa, very collectible. It is beautiful. Um, they talk about the very scientific DNA of the carbon and the oxygen and the cells and the, the atomic makeup, I should say, the chemical makeup of, of carbonate materials, minerals. They're a very unusual group, and um, they are numerically in 18 vertical columns. And you can go into, if you want to know about these atomic uh, columns of carbon and these different elements, you can read into this. It has to do with the balance of the outer electron shell and the other electron shells that help form these compounds and sometimes they are filled inside or they are um, on loan. <laughs> it's an interesting subject if you want to read it. It is very detailed and nerdy, more nerdy than I want to get right here. But some beautiful, colorful, well-formed um, carbonates are very collectible, and many of them are going to be calcites. Carbonite minerals are um, aragonite, um, azurite, calcite, um, dolomite, um, rhodochrosite, um, siderite, smithstone, smithsonite, um, and many others. So check that out. It also depends on when these carbon combines with oxygen and other minerals, 
how the calcite will join with its minerals. If there's enough limestone and other minerals, then it will crystallize. So that's part of the magic that makes it happen. Maybe you've heard of dog tooth calcite. This is a good example of carbonate being able to um, um, crystallize into different shapes. Marbles are a uh, carbonite uh, that, that uh, the beautiful marbles and huge marbles that make public buildings, the famous marbles of Italy, the famous uh, Michelangelo, uh, I'm probably saying that wrong, Angelobe, I am saying it wrong. Anyway, the beautiful artwork that was built, that was made by him. Um, calcite rich solution contains magnesium, which forms dolomite, calci calcium, magnesium, carbonic, forms a the dog tooth crystals I was telling you about. There's another example of red. This would have iron in it um, and magnesium in it. And there's some beautiful samples from Africa that are pictured here if you want to check this out. They talk about acid rains. They talk about ores with some carbonite minerals that are in it. They talk about the balancing valances. This also helps it become rarer forms, such as zinc carbonate, which forms smithsonite, which is also nickel carbonate to form gaspite, and iron carbonate to form siderite. All of those are hexagonal minerals that can be collected. So there's another crystal form. Aragonite heads up a small group of carbonite minerals that has uh, uh, barium carbonite and other minerals that are in it. Then there's zurite and malachite. These are complex as well. They have copper, azurite, malachite are good examples. And they have molecules of uh, azurite and copper that are in them. And they talk about the structure of this uh, in detail. Many other minerals are shown here. Ragonite, like calcite, is a calcium carbonite, but with a different crystal form from the Jones collection. This story was originally submitted by Bob Jones, and there's a lot to unpack here. I'm not going to go into it all the way, but uh, if you buy them, you will want to be careful. You want them to be uh, wrapped well and shipped appropriately. So now we're going to talk about Proustite. Proustite. What is Proustite? Our friends at Rock and Jim have something here. I have not seen this before, but this is a seldom seen silver compound. It is also called blood of the bull. It can also be called ruby silver. Uh, scarlet prostitute. <laughs> uh, or no, excuse me. I wish I could cut that out. Um, this red scarlet Proustite Proustite, Proustite is hard to find. It is a silver compound. And um, there's two minerals that make it up. The red color of Proustite and Prygyrite, both silver compounds, make them the most appealing and eagerly sought after silver uh, specimens. Color, uh, collectors are crazy for these. Now, the writer of this tells us some pretty cool stories about how he found and came across some of these beautiful specimens. 
with rich red color that were found in Chile. And at the and this is where they originally came up with the name Blood of the Bull. So the how red it is and how dark it is depend on how much of this pyrogorite is in it, in, in the, the prostite. So Mexico was a, a place where a lot of it was dug up. The um, heat, it is heat and light sensitive. There are only 2 to 2.5 on the hardness scale. Um, and they are both silver m minerals that can... Uh, get darker when exposed to light. Well, they not they not can, they will. They're definitely going to get darker with light. So they'll get darker and darker and darker and lose their lighter uh, glow that they have. Sharp crystal of wine red proustite with steep terminations perched on top of a pedestal of court from um, Germany, from the heart Hartenstein district in Germany. Also a beautiful specimen that belongs to Bob Jones. This was mined more than a century ago in Chile. It is a huge solid uh, crystal piece of this, basically is how it's described, of prostite. And this is his favorite piece because of its rich red color and... Um, I, I would imagine they would be super heavy, too. His specimen is about five inches across, two inches thick, and maybe three inches from front to back. And it has a grayish uh, exterior skin composed externally as a solid mass of red proustite. Uh, proustite. No crystals, just a solid chunk of red proustite. Half of what it probably was um, as it was mined over 100 years ago from Colorado. New Haven, Connecticut Mineral Club, um, friend of his that he met back in 1948, gave him um, this piece in a collection that he had gotten many, many years ago um, when his friend passed away in the 1990s. So where is it mined? Well, um, there's a three-dimensional cluster of vermilion crystals of proustite Mined in the Marienburg district, Saxony, Germany. And uh, there's a beautiful picture of it here. But some Colorado silver mines did produce prostite of note. Major sources of prostite are far better known from Germany that we talked about. Um, Bohemia. And most important, uh, Chan Air Chilo, Chile if I'm saying that right, where there is beautiful crystals, single and small sprays of crystal clusters can be found from that area. And um, they are highly highly desired, so you'll be probably very lucky if you can get any of that. There's more on it. Um, thumbnail size specimens um, are even quite valuable and hard to get. So who knows where you could find them, but uh, it would be cool. The story is originally by Bob Jones. All right, one last story. The Midwest Mineral Property. All right, excuse me, got to have a swig of coffee. The Gold Rush Expeditions tell us about 
the Midwest Mineral Property located in Mineral County, Colorado in the Creed Mining District. There's four uh, continuous load mining claims stacked and mapped, and there is uh, quite a bit of deposits in this area. The Midwest property is reported to have been discovered in 1899 on an outcrop of gold operated uh, from that date back then until 2003 when John Jackson, the last known owner, let the property lapse due to uh, health problems. The Midwest currently sits the third incarnation of the property. The drift entrance is at a 10,250 feet of elevation. This is actually the lower entrance. The original drift being the Coldwood Tunnel is roughly 10,450 and a few hundred feet north. The Coldwood Tunnel is largely unmapped but is reported to have a winds at 60 feet that drops into an air electric building. The porthole suffered a lot from sloth and loose dirt and was replaced by current drift in 1953 or 56. The mine worked for high-grade silver. Values were 11 ounces to 60 ounces a ton. It was driven 1,000 feet and showed enough value that the Colorado Fuel and Oil Company Homestake Mining purchased shares and operation invested many thousands of dollars to renovate. In 1982, Homestake, under the guidance of Mr. Jackson cleared and shored all the gold, all the workings at the mine, rather, for commercial scale mining. Gold prices were on a decline, and then they uh, were able, to, they had to mothball the project. And then in 1993, the federal government voided claims across the nation. The drift is bulkheaded, according to local reports, and has not been addressed since Homestake uh, pulled out in 1993. Um, the USGS reports there was no production during its life cycle. Well, that seems hard to believe. Um, but the property consistently provided $100 to $150,000 in gold and silver that was processed in Leadville. And um, he said, if I reported the output of the mine, we would have been taxed on it, and the regulations would have required to operate on the site. So it sounds like they didn't report what they were finding. Samples and assays were taken from the Colwood Tunnel, which has collapsed. They took, from, they took them from the dump and uh, looked at them. Thousands of samples were took and taken for assays. Um, the underground property is not suitable for open pit work. It is not suitable for surface working. Development would be progressed by opening up the established veins and faults and deposits that have been identified, stopping, stopings, usually we call it, stopping and packing out high-grade ores for processing would be general method required to make this property profitable. Um, there's defined and mapped veins throughout the property, and one of them is like a thousand feet long, I remember seeing on the map. There is gold and silver in the dumps. Um, Gold Rush Expedition acquired the site in 2011, and um, looks like they are trying to get a bond, and that is about it. So, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in today to Radical Rocks. I hope you enjoyed several of the stories and uh, information on rocks and gems and minerals. You know, I think I forgot one, actually. I did. 
Wow, if you stayed tuned till now, you're going to get to find out about the Little Chuckawall Mountain Agate. I forgot all about that. Little Chuckawall agate uh, agates are nodules, and uh, they can be found in California. Our friends at the Orange Belt Mineralogical Society, OBMS, tell us that uh, they have kind of planned for a trip. They're not sure if they're going to do it on October 29th, but they're thinking of going either to the Little Chuckawall Mountain Wilderness, and uh, that's going to take some hiking and four-wheel drive. They're not sure if they're going to go there or they're going to go to uh, Lavic Siding, which is great for new rock hounds because you're bound to find a lot of jasper there. There's a tricolored jasper. But anyway, the Little Chuckawalla Mountains, you can find some beautiful layered agates there. Um, if you're not familiar with layering, this is how the center of the agate fills. It's usually a banded nodule, the typical bands. These are whites and grays. I've heard of other colors, light browns, and other colors coming out of this. There's very plumy, uh, polished agate here. There's also geodes with crystals and druzies. Some of the layering can be uh, not perfectly in alignment, which gives a more, um, uh, a better, you know, kind of cool designs to it. They're banded with usually grays and uh, whites and sometimes browns and other agates are uh, banded in different shapes, not just rounded, but sometimes double humps, single humps, different shapes of all sizes can be found. Um, lots of other little things can be found, little nodules and um, agates and such can be found in the Chuckawalla Mountains. So that's pretty cool. Now, if you do want to know more about Lavic, there's some beautiful jasper with uh, chalcedony stringers sometimes can be found through that. Different colors of gold, red, yellows. Um, I mean, you could find anything. There's beautiful petrified palm found near Lavic in the South Caddies. Uh, sometimes it has dendrix in it, or not dendrix, it has um, druzy cavities inside of it. Really spectacular places to go rock hounding. So with that, now I will let you go. Until next time, remember rock hounds don't die, they petrify.